Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with his sermon entitled, Grumbling or Thanksgiving, preached on November 19, 1995. Now, if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 20. Let's turn to the 20th chapter of Matthew. I would like to speak about grumbling or thanksgiving. First of all, I must say that this is an extremely difficult parable. There are few in the Bible that are very difficult to interpret. There is another parable called the, uh, the parable of the shrewd manager. This is also a difficult parable, and so people can make errors in their uh, interpretation of this parable of the laborers in God's vineyard. First of all, we must make the point that Paul makes in the book of Romans that the nature of an unbeliever is to be unthankful. An unbeliever is always praising himself. You look at the politicians. Every chance they get, they will praise themselves. They are selling themselves. An unbeliever is always unthankful. He takes credit for everything he does. And he treats God with contempt. But a believer is supposed to be thankful. The New Testament has much to say about it. The scripture teaches us that a believer in God is bound to thank the Lord. That is his duty. Bound. And he is to thank God the Father because he is the one who planned our salvation from all eternity. Many people don't recognize that because they don't understand theology. So a believer is to thank God the Father. That is his duty. And he is to thank God the Father always, all the time. And he is to thank God the Father for all things. Because a believer knows all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. A believer is to thank God the Father through Jesus Christ. You cannot thank God the Father unless you understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. That the eternal God became man. He who knew no sin became sin for us and he died on the cross in my behalf. It is that that makes us thank God always for all things and we consider it as our most important duty. Having said that, let us look at the context of this parable. Now, this parable is given as an illustration of a principle Jesus Christ put down in the previous section in which Jesus deals with the rich young ruler who wanted to do something to inherit eternal life. And he was told to go and sell all things and give to the poor and come and follow Christ. 
that he will have treasure in heaven that Christ may give him eternal life. And he refused, which revealed the heart of the young man that he was a materialist and idolater, that he hated God. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so the disciples were shocked when Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Because people were thinking in those days that if you are rich, you are blessed by God, you are next to heaven. If anybody goes to heaven, the rich will. This was their understanding. And it was a shocking pronouncement that that is not so. Then the question in desperation was then, who can be saved? That's a good question. And the answer is nobody can be saved. It's impossible for man to be saved. The Bible says you must be born again, but the truth is you cannot be born again. And so God has to do. So what is impossible with man is possible with God. And and then you remember that Peter asked the question now. He felt very proud, very happy, you know. He said, well, we have left all. What shall be to us? What are we going to get, of course? Jesus Christ did not shame him and rebuke him at that moment. He said, don't worry. You will become rulers in the kingdom of God. You will have great honor. And not only that, you will receive 100-fold in this life with persecution. 100-fold of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and children and houses and lands. What Jesus means, of course, you will have that great fellowship in the church of Jesus Christ. But then he gave a warning. And you find that in the 30th verse. This is a warning for all of us. But many who are first will be last. And last will be first. Many who think they are first (laughs) will be last. And so you see in this parable we find that statement again in verse 16. So last will be first and the first will be last. That tells you that this is an illustration of the principle he announced in verse 30 of 19th chapter of Matthew. And not only that, you know that this is a continuation of the previous discussion because the first word is for. That connects it with the previous section. So you notice then, the rich man, he went away sorrowful, sad. He chose temporal blessings over eternal life. But let's look at the parable and find out what it means. The parable itself is very simple. Except certain atypical elements in it. The owner of a vineyard, oikodespotes, means the owner, the master. He hired at 6 a.m. workers for one denarius each. Now, you know, one denarius was the wage of a soldier or a laborer for a day. Then this man goes out 
again at 9 a.m. and 12 a.m. and 3 p.m. for more workers. And then the atypical element, he goes out at 5 p.m. And he sees a lot of people standing there idle in the labor exchange in the marketplace. He asked the question, why are you not working? Nobody hired us. I think that should tell us something. God is speaking here about grace. You see, in those days, if a laborer did not get a job for that day, his whole family starves. So out of great mercy, out of grace, he says, go to my vineyard. He doesn't tell them whether he's going to pay him anything. Just go. And so the last ones went to work trusting in the landlord to do what is right. There's no contract, nothing. So when the evening came, of course, the law told that you should pay these people. Look at Deuteronomy, the 24th chapter and the 15th verse tells us the requirement that a laborer must be paid at the end of the day. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and is counting on it. Otherwise he may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. So that is what the owner is doing at 6 p.m. See, in those days they worked 12 hours which included breaks. At 6 p.m., he rewards the workers, but there is another atypical element here. What is that? He called the last first. And they, they worked probably less than an hour. And probably they expected to receive what is fair, which was what? One-twelfth of a denarius, that is. That would be fair, isn't it? You work for one hour, and you get one-twelfth of a denarius. The only problem is you cannot support a family with that. So they expected to receive at least one-twelfth. That would be fair. Instead, they received one whole day's wages. One big denarius. I'm sure the reaction, you know, it is not stated here, but I'm sure if you, if you imagine the reaction of these poor misfit workers. See, they were misfit. That's why nobody hired them. You look at the body and you look at the tool and you look at everything and you see. Even today they do it in Israel. They go and hire the Palestinians on a daily basis. There are places they gather together. And you will find over here in this part of the world also farm laborers. They do that. You can understand here a misfit. Nobody showed compassion. Nobody showed mercy. And here somebody showed mercy. And the surprise of surprises is what? It's given one whole denarius. 
and can imagine the thanksgiving and the gratitude that welled up in their beings. They were appreciative of this master. Certainly this master is not the head of the multinational corporation because you cannot do this type of business and make any profit. Apparently, this master is not concerned about profit making. In this parable, we are being taught a lesson about God who looks upon us in mercy and grace. He's not talking about wages and, and work and merit. Everything is mercy. And so you could imagine the joy that welled up in these poor people who finally got it. And I'm sure they ran all the way home and said, you know, we made it. We are going to eat and we are going to have plenty today. Because there was a man. We were waiting there. Nobody chose us. Nobody selected us. Nobody gave us a job. But this man came looking for us at the wrong time at five o'clock. And how come you are being idle? Come to my vineyard. That's thanksgiving. That's praising God. That's loving the oikodespotes, the housemaster. But you see, the owner devised this way of paying deliberately so that the first hired people can learn how much the last hired person made. It was deliberate. If he had given the one denarius first to the first hired, they would have gone away. But their heart will not be brought out. But here they found out that these people who only worked one hour, they got one denarius each and they figured out in their heads. The text says, well, if they got one denarius, 12 denarius for me would be fair, isn't it? That would be fair. See, that's false theology, but that's what people have in their head. And they came, and what did they get? Each got the same, just one denarius. And notice all of a sudden their face fell. There is the grumbling, and there is the mumbling, there is the murmuring. Not publicly, because that's not kosher, because this is a great man. So under their breath, In their heart, they hated him. The text says that. They were murmuring. If you are a Greek scholar, it is egungudzon. It is in the imperfect tense. That means they kept on murmuring in their hearts. They carried on this murmuring. And we are told they spoke against with the genitive against the landlord. The first became last and the last became first. They're unhappy, they're angry. On the Thanksgiving day, instead of thanking God, they are complaining and murmuring, why did you do this to me? Why did you do that to me? Why, why, why? They're filled with envy. As well as hatred for this master. And the Lord's reply was simply this. I do what I want to do with what is mine. And I don't check with you. He asserts his sovereignty and his freedom. 
to do what he wants to do and don't you ever control me and don't you ever tell me what I should do see it is time that we understand who this God is this land owner is this vineyard owner is so let's look at some teachings that we can get from this first none serves God unless he is saved and salvation is by grace and serving also is by grace may we never get into our head that somehow we are saved by our own righteousness that was the problem of the rich young ruler he wanted to earn his salvation by doing something you need to understand that if you are a Christian then you are saved by grace meaning on the basis of what God has done in Jesus Christ not on the basis of what you have done if God had dealt with us on the basis of what we had done we would have been sent to hell the wrath of God that's what we merited but God saved us by his grace in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 you read if you are reformed something about covenant of works that Adam you know if you do thus and so you will live <laughs> but he failed to perform the works he disobeyed and in Genesis 3 we are told there is a covenant of grace that from now on eternal life comes to us on the basis of the seed of the woman covenant of grace we maybe never forget this all are God's creatures all are therefore owned by God the creator God owes his creatures nothing yet all creatures owes God everything secondly no sinful creature can serve God acceptably until he is saved from God's wrath against human sin people would say well I did this I did that I did the other thing come on now we live and move and have our being in God we are ever sustained by his grace Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification on the basis of the redemption Christ accomplished on the cross the Holy Spirit applies the redemption to elect sinners through regeneration you go home and read Ephesians chapter 2 1 through 10 it tells us God quickened us raised us up made us alive saved us we are his workmanship now to do good works so to entertain this idea that I did this you owe this to me is stupid and yet people have that type of idea the spiritually dead are now made alive they repent and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ they have been made new creatures and now they are enabled moment by moment to do good works it is he who causes us to will and to do his 
will. It is the Holy Spirit who continually energizes us. And we want to get credit for ourselves. For what we did. Oh no. It was God himself doing it all through us. The Bible says they are bought with a price. And what was the price? The death of Jesus Christ himself. You are not your own. They are redeemed by the Redeemer Christ. They are not their own. They belong to God. They are God's. They owe to God everything. Even an unbeliever owes to God everything. But he's an unbeliever. He hates God. That's one thing we need to know. Don't ever get into this idea that I'm a hired hand and, and I worked hard and God owes me this. And so the last hired will tell us that it is all on the basis of grace and mercy. Number two lesson we need to learn is we like distinctions. You know, can you imagine a society without distinctions? It's blah, you see. We want distinctions. Of course, we appreciate grace. Oh, we appreciate that God from all eternity chose us, set his love upon us, and in time effectually called us and saved us. We like that. (laughs) But we don't like that type of thing being spoken to us throughout our life. After a while, we don't want to hear about grace. We don't want to hear that we were nothing and still we are nothing. And what we are, we are by the grace of God. We don't want to hear that, you see. We just don't like that. We have PhDs and and we live in two homes and one vacation home and, and one another home. We have many cars and we are surrounded by glow. <laughs> And so we we don't want anymore this idea that we were sinners saved by grace. We want some distinctions. Even though the Bible says there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.22, Romans 10.12, Galatians 3.28. We are told about this all the time. But we don't like to hear that. So because believers are still sinners, they like distinctions. They soon forgot that they were saved by grace like a baby girl thrown out and exposed in her own blood and dying. And there came one who said, live! And you lived and grew in beauty and honor. And he espoused you to himself. But you don't want to remember that, you see. We don't want to remember from what quarry we were hewn. Oh, no. Even as believers, we don't want to be told, I remember you when you were nothing. (laughs) Living in that little trailer. (laughs) You didn't have much place to move around, you know. (laughs) And you didn't have much money or anything at all. And you were driving that beat up environmentally hazardous vehicles. (laughs) You don't want to be reminded of that. See, you have come, you have arrived. You see, in those days, you came for prayer meeting, you know, and also Wednesday meetings and Sunday morning meetings. Sunday, oh, now one day at a time is, one day a week is good enough, you know. I'm a busy person. We have many things to attend to. 
he don't like to be reminded of the miserable, wretched condition from which God saved us. So we want this distinction, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, master, slave, educated, uneducated, moral people, immoral people. Remember that? Some people would say, well, I was very nice and never sinned at all. You know, I was pretty good. And you, of course, you, you didn't have that type of lifestyle. And then we are morally moral. We are male. You are female. We are white. You are black. You are first saved. You are last saved. We are good looking. You are miserable looking. You see, we like these distinctions. We want this idea that we are first. This is true throughout the whole world. You can go to Africa, India, or Europe. Wherever you go, you find certain cultural distinctions. But before God, it doesn't work. Remember, Mary, mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers came. They heard that Jesus is somewhat going out of his mind. And we need to take care of him. He's not eating right. And He's doing too much work. And they came and they were, what are you here for? Well, we want to to take our son home. (laughs) We want to to give him some chicken soup and take care of him and, and all that. You see, they thought that such distinctions would work, that I'm the mother and we are the brothers. No, 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 this is kingdom of God business. And he looked at the people and said, these are my mothers and my brothers who do the will of my father, you see. Or look at in the in 20th chapter of Matthew, and beginning with verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, her name was Salome, came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Now, if you, if you read Mark chapter 10, you notice the James and John themselves came first. It didn't work, probably. And so he said, let's use some influence, you see. Influence, of course, the mother of James and John was related to Jesus. You see, they came with some, some influence. And, uh, and now you understand James and John were not 40 years of age. They were probably teenagers or early 20s, you know. She has one request, you know. You are related to us, aren't you? (laughs) We are all friends and relatives. So I have a request. I know that you are going to be the king. Soon you are going to announce, I know that. But I have one request, what is it? I want you to make this son, James, and this son, John, to sit on your what? Right. This is just first, that's all. And everybody will understand. You can explain to them what? These are my relations. But let me tell you, it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. It simply doesn't work. Human distinctions does not work in the kingdom of God. There the issue is, are you loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? That is the issue. Uh, So Jesus said, no deal. (laughs) And then... In 18, the chapter of Matthew, look at the question. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest, you see? We are all occupied with this ideal position and power and preeminence. 
I don't think, I don't think these disciples ever forgot this idea. They want to be first. Who is going to be first? And if you read Mark 10, the rest of the disciples were upset when James and John went Jesus asking for this first position. They were upset. That is the truth when we introduce distinction. Life is miserable. They don't understand the principle in the kingdom of God is exactly contrary to the principle in the world. Look at the politicians. They are going around selling. Selling themselves. Telling them I'm the most capable. I'm the greatest. But you see Jesus said. Oh, you want to be greatest? Let me tell you how. You should be the servant of all. Oh I see If you humble yourselves, you will be what? Exalted. The principle of the kingdom is, blessed are what? The poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You see, that's a different principle. Another thing we want to learn is this. It is stated in the book of Galatians chapter 3. You see Galatians were saved by grace. But you see just like everybody else. We don't like grace all the time. Don't tell me I was nothing. I was nothing. I'm something now. Come on. Don't ever remind me of it. That I was exposed. And I was playing in my own blood. And I was dying. Don't tell me about it. Third chapter of Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. That's speaking about grace. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, work righteousness, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by what? Human effort. You see, God, I don't need any more grace. You don't have to handhold me, you know. I'm pretty able to stand. You know, I don't have to pray. I don't have to study the Bible. I don't have to receive any grace. I'm quite capable now. I'm doing pretty good. You see, that's a problem, isn't it? Did you read the story of Asa? Who started out as a good king. You know people start out. Now some of these are good. Because they are weak and they are nothing. So you have to depend on God. And what did he do after? You see as I was. Blessed by God. He said you know. God I'm nothing. I rely on you. Have mercy on me. There is a vast enemy coming after me. And God helped him. Then it went to his head. And he became arrogant. And he began to put God's prophets in prison. And God had to afflict him. And he did not come to his senses. So he died in his affliction. And we also read about Jehoshaphat. His son. Who started out very nice. But after a while he felt very powerful. And politically wise. And and he was going to have some alliance. With the wicked Ahab. and, And all these things. And God rebuked him. This is a problem with believers. We want distinctions. We want position. We want recognition. We want power. We don't want much grace. We want to finish it by our own efforts. Though we started by 
the Spirit and by grace. Oh, now we don't need any help from you, oh God. We are quite capable of doing it on our own. (laughs) You see that. Children show that. They don't want mama to come again and follow and take them to school. Just go away, you see. I know how to handle myself. But you see, if you are a true believer, you will have grace consciousness always in your life. Look at St. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointed me to his service. You see, service is also God's grace. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Some people think they believe by their own faith. No, it is poured out to you. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That is humility. That's grace. That's being lost. That's being lost. That is humbling. That is being poor in the spirit. That is being meek. That's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. No question. God will exalt him. And God will consider him first when he comes to judge. We like distinctions. All right, let's look at this grumbling business. They kept on grumbling, the text says. The idea is they forgot grace. They forgot all about it. They are saying, we worked 12 hours. We bore the burden of the day. We suffered the heat. And the implication is you are unjust in giving us just one denarius even though we agreed to it. God owes me something. God is unjust. And then the text says they spoke against him. They accused God to be unjust. And then they spoke with contempt to the last hired people. It is very clear in the Greek, these last ones. Just like the prodigal son's brother. This your son when he came. And the father said, yeah. You see, the son is interested in property rather than in person. When you are more interested in money than in people, then you have forgotten grace. So we worked harder than everybody else. We are superior. These last ones, you made them equal to us. You see the distinction. We want distinction. But you see in the gospel, you find a prostitute, a town prostitute, (laughs) God forgave her sin and she comes and she weeps and she cries and she wipes the feet of Jesus and pours ointment upon her and kisses her feet. She appreciated grace. She was forgiven much, so what did she do? She loved much. Whenever we get into our head that we are superior, we are distinct, we are different, we are prominent, then then corrosion already entered in. 
There is this work righteousness. There is this denial of grace as the basis of our life from beginning to end. And we begin to grumble and murmur. Poison comes out of us. Poison. God is unfair to me. How come he, he didn't give me this? How come he didn't give me that? How come he gives me this to these people? That is it. But they forgot the principle laid down by Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 17. He speaks about a, an owner of a field, a master who had a slave. He goes to the field to work all day and he comes home. And the master refuses to thank him. He must cook and he must feed the master. And after all of this work, you say what? I'm just a miserable slave. We did our duty. We are miserable slaves. We thank God. The slave should be saying, we thank God for making us his slaves. We were slaves of Satan. Slaves of Pharaoh. He had no interest in us. He wanted to destroy us. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Praise be to God that we have been made the slaves of this one. We are glad that we have a life. We are in his household. We have food to eat. We have the great honor to serve this good master. That's what happens when you are appreciative of grace. We want to understand that reward idea is in the Bible. But it has nothing to do with merit. Reward is based on what? Grace. Now that's very easy to know. That we were dead. But we were raised up. God himself dwells in us. He causes us to will and to do his good pleasure. He gives us his own power to do so. And whatever we do that is acceptable by God, we do by his doing through us. To get credit for that is a denial of grace. Oh yes, the Bible says he will reward us. But that, understand, it is pure grace. The Bible says he will reward us for enduring temptation, James 1.12. The Bible says he will reward us for diligently seeking him, Hebrews 11.6. He will reward us for dying for Christ, Revelation 2.10. He will reward us for faithful pastoral work, 1 Peter 5, 4. He will reward us for soul winning, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. He will reward us for acts of kindness we have done, Galatians 6, 10. And he will reward us for loving his appearance, 2 Timothy 4, 8. See, the reward idea is in the Bible, but never think that it is because he did something. Yes, we did, but he did it through us. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Finally, he says in the Greek text, I will to give to this last one as much as I gave to you. It is my will. It's my pleasure. In other words, it's an assertion of the sovereignty of God. How dare we to tell him what he should do with what he has? 
The idea here is Jesus Christ is sovereign and he does what he wants to do and he never asks us our opinion. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. It is humiliating to us but let's read it. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That is humiliating, isn't it? And let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestinated according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. We tend to think that God must check with us. You are the first, aren't you? What should we give it to these people, the last hired? And what do you think? I think, uh, well, you don't have to give anything at all. They haven't worked. Well, maybe one-twelfth of a denarius. That would be good enough. Praise God, he doesn't check with us. He dispenses mercy and grace according to his sovereign disposition. Last, first. He determines... He does not check with our books. He knows the motivations governing our works. He knows who is first and who is last. It will be a little different from our own bookkeeping. Isn't that true? And in the 15th verse he says, you know, is it not lawful for me to do what I want to do with what I have? In other words, church! Don't restrict my freedom. I have freedom to do what I want. It's a rebuke upon those who are interested in distinctions and position and power and preeminence. They were envious of the generosity of this God. Evangelist Are Tory, there was a great evangelist by that name, and he was preaching in Australia. And so he collected questions from people, and, uh, and there was a question. And the question was from a person who was praying for a long time for a specific thing, and, and God is not answering it. And the person is very upset about it. And he said, you know, I'm a church member for 30 years. And then he said, I'm a consistent church member for 30 years. And I was Sunday school superintendent for 25 years. And I was an elder for 20 years. I cannot understand why God is not answering this prayer. You know, the answer was very simple by our Tory. What was it? Oh, (laughs) you've been praying in your name all these years. Isn't that true of all of us? We are praying in our name on the basis of what we have done and not in the name of Jesus Christ which is grace basis have you begun to forget grace have we begun to forget salvation from eternal wrath have we begun to forget the cross have we forgotten the quarry from which we have been hewn Have we begun to speak like the Laodiceans? Remember that? Let's turn to it. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. In one verse, you could see the disease of the Laodicean church. Here it is. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Need nothing. Hey, where did that come from? 
This is the problem. Have we fallen from our first love for God and his believers? Have we forgotten kingdom principles that says, humble yourself and he will exalt you? <laughs> if you want to be greatest, be servant of all. Are we grumbling against the sovereign Lord for showing grace to others? <laughs> Are we envious of them? Are we seeking praise, position, and power? Are we putting ourselves above others? We must heed the warning given to the disciples who were also afflicted. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you. Help us, O Lord, not to be thankful to you primarily on the basis of temporal blessings we have received but especially on the basis of the inexpressible gift you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have life eternal, that we may serve you better with our whole heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, please visit our website at gracevalley.org.